be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, our position is. Paul Manafort was with me for a short period of time. He did a good job. Paul Manafort, an experienced political consultant with a history of lobbying. Some people might term it influence peddling. Including for some foreign dictators and human rights violators. He's also Donald Trump's former campaign chairman. Manafort worked on Donald Trump's presidential campaign for five months in 2016. By August, he was out amid scandal. Some breaking news here. Campaign chairman Paul Manafort has resigned. Over the last several weeks, there had been story after story that links Donald Trump's campaign manager to one of Vladimir Putin's buddies. Reports had surfaced of Manafort's business dealings with Russian-aligned leaders in Ukraine and secret lobbying efforts in the United States. When I came up with the title Trump Mafia, my impetus was driven by the fact that Trump literally operates like a mafia boss. I'm not the first to draw this comparison, but it resonated so strongly with me that I felt an exploration into the belief that he operates like a Don, pun intended, and in fact operates a real crime family needed some attention. To understand this comparison, you have to first understand the way a true mob boss operates. First and foremost, they surround themselves with minions who are willing to go to the mat for them. This is very important. We all know that Don Mussolini insists on blind loyalty and allegiance. But we also know that transactional Trump only gives when he gets. That said, the most powerful sword he wields is even more seductive than money. It's the pardoned carrot. This singular power of the president is dangled to his criminal band of miscreants. But just remember, as we will circle back on that later in this episode, the other element that rarely is appreciated due to the constant barrage of Trump's assault in the news cycle is the immense totality of his criminal web. When you're making the comparison of a person to a crime boss, you are comparing them to someone with a vast network of operatives, all conspiring on your behalf. I feel it's equally important to give some airtime to some of his more nefarious, complicit crony. We already explored Michael Cohen, Trump's flipping fixer, as he had some serious unreported ties to Russia. But now, we're going to move on to another player on the board with more ties to Russia than vodka. His name is Paul Manafort. A Senate Intelligence Committee on Tuesday released a bombshell report alleging that Russia used Republican political operative Paul Manafort to try to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The panel found Manafort's role in proximity to Trump created opportunities for Russian intelligence, saying his, quote, high-level access and willingness to share information with individuals closely affiliated with the Russian intelligence services represented a grave counterintelligence threat. Let me give you a quick history lesson in Manafort 101. Manafort was born in 1949 and raised in New Britain, Connecticut, a town where his father served three terms as a Republican mayor. Like President Trump, Manafort comes from a real estate family. Alongside his political work, his father also ran the family construction company, Manafort Brothers Incorporated. Instead of taking over the family business, Manafort 
decided to pursue his interest in politics and moved to Washington, D.C., where he earned an undergraduate business degree and a law degree at Georgetown University. While working at a private law firm, two years after graduating from law school, Manafort began advising Republican President Jerry Ford's 76 campaign. Since the 70s, he's established deep and sometimes murky connections in Washington, and more importantly, around the globe, serving as a political lobbyist, advisor, and an international political consultant for leaders across the world, including dictators, Mobutu Sisi Seiko of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Ferdinand Marcos of the Philippines, after helping shepherd Ronald Reagan's presidential campaign at the Republican convention, Manafort became a founder of the lobbying and strategy firm Black Manafort Stone and Kelly in Washington. The stone in that title was for Roger Stone, a longtime Trump confidant, and another piece of work we will get to in another episode. The fact is, Manafort worked for the Trump campaign for five months, three of which he served as the campaign chairman. But his ties to Trump and Russia go back much further than just five months. Trump has known Manafort since the early 80s. When Manafort, longtime partner and frequent InfoWars guest host Roger Stone, and Charles Black opened a lobbying firm known as Black, Manafort & Stone. Trump was one of the firm's earliest clients and hired them to assist him with issues relating to his casino businesses and other real estate ventures. Many clients of Manafort's firm were less than savory individuals, including autocrats and despots from around the world, which led to the firm being called out in a report published by the Center for Public Integrity entitled The Torturer's Lobby. This report cited human rights abuses by regimes and the firms that represented them in Washington. Let's jump ahead to 2004, where Ukraine holds a series of elections in which fraud is rampant. Viktor Yanukovych, the party of regions, wins a runoff in November. Manafort was advising him at the time. Outcry at alleged fraud leads the European Union to reject the runoff results. Ukrainians take to the streets in protest in what comes to be known as the Orange Revolution. Now here's where Pauli makes his move. He develops a strategic plan aimed at promoting the interest of the Russian government. And guess who? That's right, good old Vladimir Putin. Next move, Manafort signs a deal with Russian oligarch Oleg Deripaska, a billionaire allied with Putin. This lobbying deal represented a $10 million annual contract for Manafort. Meanwhile, Kovic gets ousted in 2014 and fled to Russia amid the protests. In 2004, Manafort took the notion of serving despots one step further, establishing business relationships with oligarchs who were themselves serving Russian President Vladimir Putin. Among them was Russian billionaire Oleg Deripaska, who was described in a 2006 U.S. diplomatic cable as, quote, among the two to three oligarchs Putin turns to on a regular basis. Around 2005, Manafort presented Deripaska with a confidential strategic plan to influence politics, news coverage, and business dealings in the United States, Europe, and former Soviet republics, with the aim of benefiting Putin's government. 
Deripaska accepted the plan and signed a $10 million annual contract with Manafort. Soon after, on recommendation from Deripaska, Manafort set off to work in the Ukraine for pro-Russian politician Viktor Yanukovych, who was widely seen as a puppet of Putin. Manafort was charged with making over the thuggish Yanukovych's 2006 parliamentary election campaign. Under Manafort's guidance in the 2006 elections, Yanukovych became the prime minister and went on to win the presidency in 2010. Manafort had delivered successfully for Putin, and as such, lucrative side deals with shadowy individuals connected to Russian organized crime figures started opening up for Manafort. In February 2014, President Yanukovych fled the country, and it was later revealed that Yanukovych fled to Russia with the help of the Russian government. By the time Manafort joined the Trump campaign in 2016, he was in debt to pro-Russian interests by as much as 17 million. Legal complaints filed by representatives of his old pal, Oleg Deripaska, claimed Deripaska gave Manafort 19 million that year to invest in a Ukrainian TV company. The project fell through, and Manafort all but disappeared without paying Deripaska back, the filings claim. A subsequent court filing from the special counsel Robert Mueller's office in June 2018 revealed Manafort owed Deripaska an additional 10 million for an unpaid loan. I don't know about you, but the last fucking guy I would want to owe 30 cents to, let alone 30 million, is a Russian oligarch. As Manafort joins the Trump circus, here's a little background on their history. Manafort and Trump have been connected since the 80s, when Trump hired Manafort's lobbying firm to help the Trump organization. Trump became close with Manafort's business partner at the time, Roger Stone, a self-proclaimed dirty trickster who served as an early advisor to Trump's presidential campaign. Manafort and his wife also bought a Trump Tower apartment which Manafort still owns. And by the way, is that part of the initiation ceremony into the Trump cabal? You have to buy an apartment from him? Within months of joining the charade, I mean campaign, Manafort gets promoted to the position of campaign chairman and chief strategist. He became the campaign's de facto manager. After Trump fired Corey Lewandowski. At this point, Manafort had lost his main source of income in Yanukovych. Deeply indebted to Russian oligarch Deripaska due to a failed side deal, he joined the Trump campaign in March 2016 as a conspicuously unpaid volunteer. The good times roll. The Don father has a new campaign chair with experience in working with despots and narcissists. Manafort has amassed a small cash-under-the-table account in the Republican Party are now poised to take the 2016 election. All seemed well in Oz until the guys in the suits from the FBI decided to investigate Manafort's business relationships and ties to foreign powers, including Russia. Well, things start to spin out fast. First, Manafort is telling Hope Hicks, a senior campaign staffer, to ignore questions about him and dangerous Deripaska. And then he does the dumbest next move, and then he does the dumbest next move a guy can make while under investigation by the FBI over ties to Russia. He attends a meeting at Trump Tower at the behest of Donnie Jr. and Jared Kushner with yet another Ruski, a Russian lawyer named Natalia Veselnitskaya, who says 
she's got the goods on Crooked Hillary. So down the yellow brick road, the moronic triumvirate of Donnie Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paulie Manafort go. I mean, what the fuck is this guy thinking? He's got the feds after him, and he pulls this maneuver. If you think about it, there's really one episode at the center of the Russia investigation. The notorious 2016 meeting at Trump Tower, where Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and then campaign chair Paul Manafort all met with a Russian government-connected lawyer. The purpose of the meeting? Get dirt on Hillary Clinton. The big question tonight is what did the president know about the meeting here at Trump Tower and when did he know it? The White House says he only became aware of it a few days ago. But we now know more about the Russian lawyer, Natalia Veselnitskaya, well connected to the Kremlin and a familiar figure in Washington lobbying against Russian sanctions. She flew in specially from Moscow to meet with Trump's inner circle on the 25th floor of Trump Tower, one floor below the office of Donald Trump Sr. Democrats in Congress tonight are asking how could he not know what was going on, especially since the meeting was set up by people working for a Russian billionaire who was a former business partner of Trump's and also close to Vladimir Putin. And then now get this. He sets up one meeting at some swanky cigar club called the Grand Havana, located next to Trump Tower with Deripaska Crony, an ex-veteran of the Soviet Army. Konstantin Kilimanik to discuss how to make some side cash off his good Trump press. If he needs private briefings, we can accommodate, Manafort said. In August of 2016, Paul Manafort is the chairman of Donald Trump's campaign. In early August, Paul Manafort goes to a room on the penthouse of 666 Fifth Avenue, the Grand Havana. It's a private cigar club. He meets with a man who has come from outside the United States for this meeting, a, a guy named Konstantin Kalimnik, a Russian who had worked at Paul Manafort's political consulting business. One of the things that's interesting about this meeting is that the timing is just so significant. You had this press conference that people may remember with Donald Trump. Russia, if you're listening. Where instead of sort of condemning Putin and Russia, he kind of mockingly said, you know, Russia, if you're listening, uh, I hope you can find Hillary Clinton's deleted emails. So there was all this attention on Russia. And then right after that, Paul Manafort is having this meeting. Kalimnik was a guy who, he was a Soviet Army veteran. He had trained at a language academy in Moscow that's known as a sort of recruiting ground for the Russian intelligence services. Uh, and he worked for Paul Manafort for 10 years. At this moment, when Paul Manafort and Konstantin Kalimnik were meeting in New York City, Mr. Kalimnik apparently was connected in some way to the Russian intelligence services. This August 2nd meeting is really key. It looks like they were talking about a peace plan for Ukraine, which was a top foreign policy goal for Russia, uh, and potentially also talking about polling data that Paul Manafort gave to Kalimnik for some reason related to the U.S. presidential campaign. Leading up to this meeting, Manafort and Kalimnik had this series of really interesting emails. We know that when Manafort first joins the campaign in the spring of 2016, he's kind of plotting with Kalimnik how he can use his job with the Trump campaign to make money. Uh, he asks 
Kalimnik to make sure that a Russian businessman who's very close to Putin, Oleg Deripaska, that his operation is seeing Manafort's good press. And he says to Kalimnik, how do we use this to get whole? He means financially whole. How do we use this job I've got and this positive press I'm getting with the Trump campaign to make money? There's a later email where Manafort tells Kalimnik to offer private briefings about the campaign to Deripaska. Uh, Deripaska says he never received any briefings. And then there's this really cryptic but interesting email that happens. It's clearly what leads to this meeting uh, where Kalimnik writes to Manafort in late July and says, I just met today with the man who gave you the biggest jar of black caviar you ever got. I need to come and see you to talk about this. And Paul Manafort writes back, Tuesday is best, and Tuesday is August 2nd. I just can't emphasize enough uh, how stunning this would have been if we had learned it during the campaign. The notion that Paul Manafort left Trump Tower to go meet with a guy who had ties to Russian intelligence and talk about the presidential campaign. I mean, people would have, their heads would have exploded. In August of 2016, news broke revealing a secret ledger that surfaced in Ukraine showing Manafort has received $12.7 million in undisclosed cash payments from Yanukovych party over a span of five years. Manafort's deep involvement in Ukraine and Russia was coming to light and he was forced to resign from the Trump campaign at Donnie's request. So what's the next patented move from the Ma playbook? distance yourself from the crime. So that's what Donnie does. Former White House press secretary, Sean Spicer, told reporters that Manafort played a very limited role for a very limited amount of time in the campaign, despite having spent five months on the campaign and nearly three of those months as the chairman. Some legal experts think Mueller's intense focus on Manafort was an effort to pressure him into flipping on Donnie. Once the Justice Department began looking into Manafort's dealings in Ukraine in 2014, he became the subject of a FISA warrant, which allowed the federal government to surveil him and tap his phones. In early August 2017, the FBI conducted a pre-dawn raid of Manafort's home, seizing tax documents, foreign banking records, and other materials relevant to the special counsel's investigation. They also said that Manafort offered to provide private briefings about the Trump campaign to Deripaska. The party is over for Manafort, or is it? Paul Manafort, the man hired by Donald Trump to lead the effort to make him president of the United States, has quit. No reason's been given for the veteran election campaign manager's departure, but it comes just days after he was effectively demoted in a shake-up of Trump's team as he slipped behind Democrat Hillary Clinton in opinion polls. In a statement, the Republican Party candidate called Manafort a true professional, saying he appreciated his great work. There has been a clash of personalities as Manafort tried unsuccessfully to rein in Trump's freewheeling campaigning style. 
Trump was also reportedly unhappy over revelations about Manafort's past work for the former pro-Russian government in Ukraine. An MP and former investigative journalist there claims Manafort has received corrupt black money for years. He said we have documentary proof that unfortunately can't be shown because it's a secret investigation. Manafort's political advisers helped Kremlin-backed former Ukrainian leader Viktor Yanukovych get elected there. It's now being claimed he secretly rooted at least two million dollars to two Washington lobbying firms, which would be illegal under US law. Manafort denies any wrongdoing. I know Mr. Manafort, I haven't spoken to him in a long time, but I know him. He was with the campaign, as you know, for a very short period of time, relatively short period of time. That was President Trump last summer seeming to distance himself from his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, after a pre-dawn raid on Manafort's house. Today, the president echoing the same message. Manafort has nothing to do with our campaign. But I feel so, I tell you, I feel a little badly about it. They went back 12 years to get things that he did 12 years ago. You know, Paul Manafort worked for me for a very short period of time. He worked for Ronald Reagan, he worked for Bob Dole, he worked for John McCain, or his firm did. He worked for many other Republicans. He worked for me, what, for 49 days or something? A very short period of time. As we've said, though, Manafort was campaign chairman for Trump for 144 days, and the two reportedly have had a business relationship for years back in 2016. So now Manafort gets indicted on a slew of shit. I mean, it's a mess. Guys caught up in everything from 12 federal charges in the District of Columbia, including laundering millions of dollars through overseas shell companies stemming from his work in Ukraine to failing to register as a foreign agent, to failing to pay U.S. taxes for money earned in Ukraine, to 18 counts of tax evasion and bank fraud in the Eastern District of Virginia. On August 2018, he was found guilty on eight counts of bank fraud and tax evasion and faced a second trial in September. After nearly a year of proclaiming his innocence, Manafort smartly made the decision to avoid the second trial by pleading guilty to charges, one count of conspiracy against the U.S. and one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice due to attempts to tamper with witnesses. What a gangster. In October 2017, Manafort was indicted on 12 federal charges in the District of Columbia including laundering millions of dollars through overseas shell companies stemming from his work in Ukraine, failing to register as a foreign agent, and failing to pay U.S. taxes for money earned in Ukraine. In February 2018, he was indicted a second time on an additional 18 counts of tax evasion and bank fraud in the Eastern District of Virginia. Manafort decided to go to trial. Manafort was found guilty August 2018 on eight counts of bank fraud and tax evasion and faced a second trial in September. After nearly a year of proclaiming his innocence, Manafort made the decision to avoid the second trial by pleading guilty to two charges. He was a key linchpin between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. He can provide first-hand knowledge of what happened during the Trump Tower meeting. Manafort has information on methods used by the Russian government to hack the American election, as well as key information regarding Kremlin operatives. Manafort also may be able to provide information on movement of money sent from Russian oligarchs to the RNC, special interest groups, and individuals connected to the Trump campaign. And Manafort's unique history with Trump may shed light into the shady dealings the Trump organization has had 
with members associated with the Russian Mafia. And perhaps most importantly, Manafort will have an idea of what Trump knew and when. All right. So Paulie's going to the pokey for all his financial finagling and Russian roulette. But the back alley politics don't end there. Manafort was set to be transferred to Rikers to await trial on a separate state case. But then Manhattan prosecutors received a letter from Jeffrey Rosen, the top deputy for Trump henchmen and shill in the Justice Department, Attorney General William Barr, that indicated that he was monitoring where Mr. Manafort would be held in New York. And then suddenly, federal prison officials weighed in, telling the Manhattan District Attorney's Office that Mr. Manafort would not be going to Rikers. Instead, he will await his trial at a federal lockup in Manhattan or at the Pennsylvania Federal Prison. Several prosecutors said the decision was highly unusual. Most federal inmates facing state charges are held on Rikers Island. So stay with me here on this last chapter in the Manafort story for now. So the guy gets sentenced to 47 months in Loretto Prison in Pennsylvania by Judge T.S. Ellis, who told him he was surprised that Mr. Manafort did not express regret for engaging in wrongful conduct. Several days later, he received another 43-month sentence. But here's the best part of the story. Can you guess? You can't. You think I'm going to go with the news of the pardon, but it's better. Lawyers for Manafort had argued their client was at high risk from the coronavirus due to his age and underlying health issues. Can you believe this? So he gets released from prison and will serve out the rest of his sentence under home confinement. But wait, I'm not done. It gets even better. As of the recording of this podcast, Loretto Prison, where he was, had zero inmates with COVID. I can't make this up if I tried. Oh, yeah. Then he gets pardoned. Will you pardon Paul Manafort? I have not even given it a thought as of this moment. It's not something that's uh, right now in my mind. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. Another night of breaking news. For the second night in a row, President Trump just issued a series of late-day pardons. Uh, and similar uh, in theme to his pardons thus far in his administration, which has been the politically connected or cronies, among the latest Lewark, Paul Manafort, the president's 2016 campaign chairman, and Roger Stone, the president's longtime confidant. Now, keep in mind, both of those individuals didn't cooperate fully with prosecutors. Both of those individuals had pardons dangled in front of them, obviously tacitly so that they would not cooperate. They didn't cooperate. They didn't roll over on the president. The president refused to rule out pardons for them. Paul Manafort told Rick Gates, according to the Mueller report at one point, that they would be taken care of. The president said that Roger Stone could sleep well at night at one point. They clearly knew they were angling for a pardon so as not to incriminate the president. And now the president has pardoned them. This is as fundamentally corrupt as a pardon gets. Joining me now from West Palm Beach near Mar-a-Lago, NBC News correspondent Garrett Hake. Uh, Garrett, the president is down there in, in Florida, left town, uh, has blown up COVID relief, blown up the National Defense Authorization Act, and now a slew of pardons for the well-connected. 
Yeah, I mean, the president essentially left this chaos behind him in Washington, got on the plane today, had nothing to say to reporters on his way out of town, really hasn't spoken to the press in quite some time, landed in Florida, and this list of pardons wasn't released until he was safely ensconced in Mar-a-Lago. In December 2020, after losing the election, Dirty Donnie starts doling out pardons like they're going out of style. Now, if you look at his pardon list, it's a who's who of cronies, conspirators, and those who didn't rat on him. This pardon spared Manafort from serving most of his jail time, even though he had been under home confinement after being released from federal prison over fears of coronavirus. One last tiny detail. Who do you think sprung him from this bullshit COVID request? to release him from jail to home confinement. You betcha, Trump crony, Willie Barr. Willie, I got you in my crosshairs next. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Barr, your department released Paul Manafort, the president's former campaign manager, early from prison in May out of concern for the coronavirus. Since the start of this pandemic, we have repeatedly urged you to use your authority to protect vulnerable populations in prisons. And instead, you release the president's former campaign manager. You stated in May that you were taking, quote, every measure we can to protect federal inmates. The numbers, however, tell a different story, as do your actions. Despite releasing Manafort, your lawyers continue to argue against the release of prisoners. You have shamelessly abandoned your oath of office to protect all Americans impartially, because you have prioritized giving special favors to the president's friends. This is not equal justice under the law. It's not the law that you and I both learned in law school. It is two simple systems of justice, one for the president's friends and one for everyone else. 